all got a hot cross bun and a drink. Excellent. When I was, um, when I was much younger, my dad used to call me Molly. My name is Melanie. My dad used to call me Molly because um, apparently there was a song that I used to love that went uh, something like, I am a mole and I live in a hole. Um, And apparently it used to make me giggle. And so he called me Molly. And still, every so often now, he'll refer to me as Molly. My mum, while I was growing up, would refer to me as her peaches and cream, which always used to make me really grin. So, and still, in my teens sometimes, she would refer to me as her peaches and cream. My brothers, both of them, call me Melly, and they still do now. So I'm a grown woman and they're a grown man, and they still call me Melly. In, in the um, shop where I did my management training, the girls there used to call me Little Miss Magic because apparently whatever I touched worked or was transformed or was better. Um, my man, Stuart, he calls me beautiful. And, um, oh, it's nice, isn't it? Um, and that has the same kind of effect of just me kind of grinning and turning into a mushy like little girl. Um, my boys call me Mama. So, Asher started calling me Mama and now Levi's decided that because he gets a lot of attention and I think it's the cutest thing ever, that Levi also will call me that too so that he gets in on the action of lots of kisses and lots of cuddles. The names that people call me have meaning and purpose and they speak about a relationship that I have with that person. So, you know, not every man in real life church calls me beautiful because, you know, that would be inappropriate. It might be true, but it would be inappropriate, (laughs) obviously. So it speaks of a relationship and it speaks of um, a relationship that I have with particular people in my life. And if you read your Bible, you'll realize that Jesus has many names. There's many names that he's called throughout the Bible, and they're rich with meaning and purpose, and they're, 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 they belong in a relationship. They're, they're names that the Jewish people might have called him, or the Father called him, or his disciples called him, or the people called him, or even those who were chanting and being cruel to him had names for him. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lion and the Lamb. He is both always and forever So he's the lamb-like lion and he's the lion-like lamb. He's the sacrifice in our place for all of our sin. And he's the one who emptied the tomb and conquered death, the lion. He is both always. We sang in, in a song at the beginning, our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him Our God is a lamb, a lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow. And I want to read to you this morning a bit from Revelation. When I say a bit, it's quite a big chunk. So you're going to have to hang on in there as I read through this wild and crazy chapter in the Bible. And I'm going to read you one line from the book of Luke. So if you own a Bible, it's on your phone or or you physically got one, you can turn to this. If you don't own one, if you want one, we would like to sort that out for you. But if you don't own one, I'm going to read it to you. So don't worry too much. But if you want to stick your finger in Revelation 1, and I'm going to read, no, Revelation 5, 1 to 14. I'm reading that whole chunk. So hang on in there. And then you can put another 
finger in Luke 24, verse 6, just one line. If you're not used to the Bible, this book in the Bible is a bit weird and wonderful. Uh, it's, it's got crazy imagery. You might be thinking, what on earth is it talking about? Don't worry too much. I'm going to explain a little bit of what it's talking about. And some of it is just wacky and wild and wonderful. Okay? So Revelation 5, 1 to 14 It says this, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. So he's saying, look, there's a lion. And then John looks and he says, I saw a lamb. So already you've got this lion and lamb. Then I saw the lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, yet a lamb, seven horns, seven eyes, which represents the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll, break its seals, and opened it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed a people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. And then I'm just going to flip you forward or backwards to Luke 24 verse 6. I'm only reading one line from there. It says this, he isn't here, he is risen from the dead. I want to explain to you this morning that Jesus is both always the lion and the lamb. And that on the cross, when he died in our place for all our sin, he was the lamb and the lion. 
And when they got to the empty tomb and they found that he was not there and the angel said, well, he's not here, he's risen, he's alive, he is both the lion and the lamb at that point. And when he's in heaven and John sees this vision of him, he is both the lion and the lamb at the same time. He is both always and forever. So on the Christ, he, on the cross, he is our sacrifice in our place for all our sin. And John says when he saw that vision in heaven that he was looking around trying to find someone worthy. And they said that no one was worthy to open it. You see, in the Old Testament, God says that sin must be paid for. So anything we do that offends a holy, perfect, right God must be paid for by the shedding of a lamb. And it must be a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb in order to cover our sins. That's what the Bible says. And I don't know about you, but I cannot refer to myself ever as perfect, sinless, or spotless Those are not words I can use about myself. There are many words I could use about myself. Those are not them. And I don't know everybody in the room, but I'm assuming that you also cannot use perfect, spotless, and blameless about yourself. I'm assuming if we scan the whole earth, we'd not find a perfect, sinless, spotless being. The Bible's very clear. Jesus was and is the only perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God who could take away the sins of the world. So as a lamb, he was presented on the cross as the perfect, spotless, blameless sacrifice. But in heaven, it says this lamb is looking like it's been slaughtered, but he's standing and he's up and he's moving around. See, in the sacrifice of Jesus, there's also victory In the laying down of his life, there's also that he comes back to life again and is upright and is walking. So in his weakness, there is real power. As he laid down his life, God raised it back up again. You'll realize if you read Revelation, the number seven is referred to over and over again. And that passage is referred to several times. And it means completeness or fullness or job done. Whenever you see the seven in the Bible, it just means, means that really. So when it's referring to the lamb, it's saying there's a completeness here. There's a job done here. There's a fullness here. So there's even a strength in the lamb as he's walking around heaven, as they're worshiping him. In Revelation, it said that his blood ransomed a people for God from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And it causes that people to be right with God and then serve God as priests on the earth. What the lamb's sacrifice did is it helped a people be transformed. And what we saw in the baptisms is really a picture of that transformation, So Jean-Marie and Matt both referred to a sense of their old life being done with and a turning around and going towards their new life, where they're going Jesus' way, where they're going God's way. They're saying, I once walked like this, and since he tapped me on the shoulder and said, come with me, I've turned, and I'm going this way. That's what real repentance looks like. That's how you know if someone's been saved, because their life looks different. You start to see things happening where you think, well, that wasn't going on before and that wasn't going on before. It's a mark of repentance, a transformed life. 
And it's his blood that ransoms a people for God. It's his blood that purchases our freedom. It's his blood that brings us back into right relationship with God. So a seemingly weak sacrifice, a seemingly broken moment on the cross is actually the point where we, our lives, can be turned completely around. So a seemingly weak act where the disciples might have looked at it and thought, it's all over, is actually the act that buys our freedom and causes us to come back to life again. And in heaven, he is worshipped as the lamb. And even at the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and he says, here he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you don't find John being embarrassed about that, thinking, oh, I don't know if I'll refer to him as a lamb because that's a little bit weak. He announces it to everybody. He says, here he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Jewish people would have understood what he meant by that. They'd have understood that he was the one who was going to lay down his life for all their sin. On Resurrection Sunday, when they arrived at the tomb and the tomb was empty and the grave was empty, he is both the lion and the lamb. On the cross, he's the lion and the lamb. At the grave, he's the lion and the lamb. The angel says to the first visitors, he's not here, he is risen from the dead. And you can see the lion there because I know for most of you, you'll have met lions in a zoo where they are contained. But let's be honest, that's not where lions are supposed to live. They're supposed to live in the wild. They're supposed to live not in a cage. They are supposed to live in massive expanses of land. You see, a lion is not designed to be contained. And you know that when you see them in the zoo because you feel like they're not quite behaving like they should be. Because actually I should be way more terrified being face to face with a lion, except for I'm not because there's a great big glass plate in front of me and I'm very safe. And he is behind there and I am this side. You see, lions are designed to roam. They're designed to be out. They're designed to be free. So the grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. So he is the lamb and he's the lion. He's the sacrifice, but also he cannot be contained by death. At the start of that passage I read, they said they they were looking around and they saw the lion of Judah. They saw him. And the Jewish people had been promised this lion all the way through the Bible, all the way through family lines, been promised the lion of Judah's coming, the lion of Judah's coming. The empty tomb roars of the lion's power. It just, it speaks of a God who will not be held back and will not be restrained. The empty tomb tells us that death could not hold him, but that the price that the lamb paid on the cross was enough for God. So when God needed a price paid for sin, the empty tomb tells us that the price was enough, that what Jesus did on the cross when he died in our place for our sin was enough to satisfy the wrath of God. Now we don't often like talking about the wrath of God because it's not as friendly as God loving us and hugging us and causing us to be sons and daughters and making us priests. And it's not as lovely as well, he formed you together. But there is a wrath of God against sin that must be satisfied. And what we know from the empty tomb is that the cross satisfied 
the wrath of God. Therefore, God was able to raise him back to life. The knock-on effect of the cross is an empty grave, and you can't have one without the other. So if you're a Christian sitting in this room, it is because Jesus died in your place for all your sin, and then God raised him to life again. We don't stay at the cross. We make a journey to the empty tomb, and then we make a journey beyond that. Because his death and his resurrection buys our freedom. His death and his resurrection means that we can join him one day on the new heaven and the new earth. It means that my sins are set free. It means that I can live the life I was always intended to live because of the cross and the empty tomb. The lion and the lamb beat sin and death. And this is why our worship here focuses on him being the lion and the lamb. This is why we will sing songs about his sacrifice, but also that he is victorious and risen from the grave. I would say shame on us, real life church, if we ever end up with worship times that are really me focused when we have the lion and the lamb in our midst. Shame on us, to be honest, because he's mighty victorious. He defeated death on the cross and at the grave. And when he is in our midst, loads of our singing, loads of our worship, loads of our words should be about him, should be about how glorious he is, how marvelous he is, how thankful he is. I was so blessed to hear Jean-Marie and Matt's stories, to hear them all the way through their story, honoring God, honoring God, honoring God, honoring God. That is worship. That is the stuff that, that, that heaven is full of. When we worship, when we sing, we're looking at him. We're honoring him. We're looking to meet him, love him as both the lion and the lamb. So I wonder this morning in this room what you will do with this lion and lamb. We sang in one of the songs at the beginning that every knee will bow before him. And the Bible's really clear that every knee will bow before him in heaven and on earth. And that's every knee, whether you've decided to follow him in this life or not, every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. So will you bow your knee? Will you bow it willingly, this side of death? Will you choose to accept his death and his resurrection? Will you choose to accept what the lion and the lamb did this side of death? Or will you do it because you have to, the other side? And that choice belongs to you. However, I do know that when God calls people, they have to come. So that choice belongs to you, but if he calls your name, you have to come. Jean-Marie and Matt, you have made a decision this morning to bow the knee. That's what you've done. You've said, I'm bowing my life down. Does it make sense to get soaking wet? Does it make sense to be freezing cold? Not really, no. But actually, this is what God has asked of us. He's asked of us to make a public declaration of something that's happened inside of us. And to then let other people know. What you've done this morning is you've bowed the knee. And what I want to challenge you to do is spend the rest of your days bowing the knee. Spend the rest of your days bowing your life down before him. Spend every morning on the floor saying to Jesus, Okay, this, my life belongs to you. If you ask me to do something, I'm doing it. If you ask me to go somewhere, I'm going there. If you require this of me, I'm giving it. 
My own experience is every time I've bowed the knee, God has lifted me back up again. And that's, that's the way it works. Whenever we lay down things for God, he brings it back up again. And Jesus would have known that in laying down his life on the cross, he knew a day was coming when God would raise him back to life again. Whenever we bow the knee, God raises us back up again. If you're a Christian in this room, let me encourage you to live that way. To live a way that says, I will put him first, I will seek his kingdom first, I will do the things that he has asked of me, even if it's not popular, even if it doesn't fit culturally. I will bow my knee. Do you need to get baptized next time round? And you might think, my goodness, that woman, every time she gets up, she's banging on about baptism. What I know about baptism is something breaks when you do it. Something in your own heart, in your own life breaks. Because basically what you're saying is, I'm going public, and I'm going public for you, Jesus, and I'm all done. And I know there's something majorly spiritual about it. It's a little bit for me when people say, oh, we live together because being married is just a piece of paper. I tell you when you're married, that is not just a piece of paper. That there is something spiritual, something significant about it. And I feel that way about baptism. It's not just a piece of paper. It's not something you tick off. There is something spiritual about making that decision in your heart to go public for Jesus. So do you need to be baptized at the next baptism? Did you watch this one and think, man, why didn't I get in that pool? Why wasn't that me? If that is you, tell someone. Tell me. and We'll make sure that happens. Next one is worship is the right response to this lion and lamb. So if heaven is full of worship, which whenever you read about heaven, that's what the Bible says, we should be worshippers here on the earth. It's one of the ways people say to me, oh, I want to bring the kingdom here on earth. If you want to bring the kingdom here on earth, don't chase around after miracles. Don't chase around after signs and wonders. Worship. It's one of the ways that we get to bring heaven here. And in his presence... People are healed, people are transformed, people are saved. Because when he's here, you cannot argue with that. It's very easy to argue away lots of things, I think. Because some of the things about Christianity are you need to believe them by faith. If you meet him, it's very difficult to argue with him. When we worship, we invite something of God to be amongst us. And I've known people be healed, saved, delivered in his presence. So fill your homes with it. Fill your cars with it. Fill your workplaces with it. Fill this place with it. This one just was something as I prepped. I just thought, some of you sitting here have been called names your whole life that do not build you up, do not encourage you, and do not help you live free. And some of you knew, even when I said the names that I was called, some of you flinched a little bit because you thought, I don't remember someone referring to me like that. And I felt like God would bring some freedom to that. So if you know there's been names that you have been called that have been unhelpful to your life, have held you back, hindered you, I felt like God just wanted to set you free. 
It felt like he just wanted to remind you of some of the things that he calls his people. So he calls you chosen, known, beloved, sons, daughters. He calls you fearfully, wonderfully made. He calls you a co-heir with him. He calls you a brother. He calls you a sister. He calls you his family. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. That's your, your moment this morning. A people who have been ransomed are then free. So if you have been ransomed by someone, you are free. You're free to love. You're free to serve your God. What I wanted to ask this morning is what will you put your freedom towards? What will you attempt with the lion and the lamb standing next to you for God? What will you do that will last beyond you? What will you give your life to? Because let's be honest, your car is not coming with you when you die. Your house is not coming with you when you die. The clothes on your back are not coming with you when you die. What comes with you when you die are you and the lives of the people you have invested in. That's what comes with you when you die. So I want to challenge you really, what are you giving your life to? What are you doing that matters What are you attempting with the lion and the lamb? What do you do with your freedom that has been purchased for you by God? What are you doing with that freedom? And some of you are sitting there and you know the answers to that. You're like, I'm investing in this, I'm doing this, I'm giving my time to this, I'm I'm, I'm investing in this person, this life, I, I know what I'm doing. Some of you are sitting there going, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Some of you have got some dreams that you think, I don't know if I dare say that out loud. I don't know if that just makes me look a little bit crazy or a little bit out there. Let me encourage you. You have one life. Make it matter. I really enjoyed a few weeks back in worship, someone bought that that line from that film that says, what we do here echoes in eternity. And ever since they bought it, I I keep feeling that sense of, it's so true, what we do here on earth has the potential to echo in eternity. Because we have been bought at such a great price, because our freedom means that we can, we then have a responsibility to do something with that. And there'll be all sorts of ways that you can put your freedom to work. There'll be all sorts of things that you can do in order to live the life that God has planned for you. I want to suggest that firstly, you get saved. Secondly, you get baptized. Thirdly, you give yourself to worship. And fourthly, you find out how you're wired up and what it is you're supposed to do. I think God is incredibly clever, but also very simple So often the things we are good at are the things that God wants us to do. And they're often the things that come natural and very easy for us. Because he's a clever God and has wired us up in the way that he has called us. So if there are things that you do with great ease, if you think, I'm brilliant with people, I'm great with kids, I find this very easy, I'm excellent at organizing, however you're wired up, it is likely that that is how God wants to use you. That is what God wants to do with your freedom. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and join us. We have this amazing lion and lamb who we can bow the knee, who we can sing, who we can enjoy, who we can worship.
We have this amazing lion and lamb that we can meet ourselves personally. And we have this amazing lion and lamb that we can take elsewhere. At Easter, we're remembering that on the cross he died in our place for all our sin. And at the grave, he conquered and beat death. So all of us here don't need to face death in the way that we would have had to without Jesus. We get to look at him face to face and he would call us into his presence. He would call us to come deeper. We get to know him. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship a bit and then we're going to pray for the guys who got baptized. I will also, if anybody feels like they need some freedom from names they've been called, I would love to pray with you. And I realize sometimes that's a little painful, but you don't need to leave this room dragging that out with you.